This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. I'm Bob, Pastor Bob, and I'm really excited today to talk to you about uh, Transformation Hub. Transformation Hub is this message series that we're doing, doing during the month of August. And today we're talking about this whole idea of hard work, the hard work that we're doing together for the sake of other people and for the sake of ourselves. Now, what's the purpose of Transformation Hub? The words are in the front of your Pray, Study, Grow, but it's to release, empower, and grow the human potential in our neighbors and in ourselves for the glory of God the flourishing of our community, and for the transformation of the world through Jesus Christ. Now, that's really a mouthful. Those are really nice-sounding words. You can't fit them on a T-shirt, but they really sound good, do they not? But we need more than rhetoric. We need a vision that's more about what's the hands-on stuff of how we actually accomplish that. And so what we're proposing are next steps. And we're looking at transformation in this community through this church in three different ways. The first has to do with relief. Our signature outreach as a church is our food pantry. There's over 100 families that are represented every week that come into our food pantry, that walk in our doors. We want to continuously improve the relationship that we have with each of those persons. The second part of transformation has to do with rehabilitation, jobs for life. We're going to be talking a lot about that a little bit later. And then development. What would it look like for our church to sponsor, provide a community garden, not that we stick somewhere somewhere else that we do for others, but a community garden that other people can roll up their sleeves and go to work and build relationships and have ownership with right here right on our property? What would it look like for us to be engaged in business enterprise that helps people and others to develop new opportunities for for for-profit businesses? Now, that's on the horizon. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like. But today, what we want to talk about specifically are jobs for life and also serve day. But before we do that, I want us to go back just for a few moments and revisit the biblical story of Nehemiah. Now, just real quick review. In 587 B.C., before Christ, the Babylonians came and leveled the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple of the Jews, and they burned the walls. Seventy years later, the temple had been rebuilt. But 140 years later, after the Babylonians destroyed the city of Jerusalem, the walls were still in ruins. Now, until somebody did something about it, Nehemiah, God has a way of putting on the heart of one person first, a leader that gets other people around him or her and does something to restore and bring restoration to a community and to a neighborhood. That was Nehemiah's role. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. He was a part of the Persian official court. He had it made, but he asked the question. He asked someone the question. Well, he, he was a Jew. How are the, 
how's the city of Jerusalem? And he was told that it was still in ruins. He said the walls were still down. And Nehemiah wept, and he prayed, and he fasted. Now, you and I, I think, let me just speak for myself, I, I give up on prayer sometimes. And when I give up on prayer, it's usually not because I'm not hearing from God or I don't have clarity. It's because I do have clarity. It's because I am hearing from God and I know what God wants me to do and I don't want to do it. And Nehemiah was praying and fasting and he heard from God. And Nehemiah told, he was told by a God to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. And he takes his political alliance, he takes his business prowess, he takes everything at his connections with people, he takes the authority of the king himself, and he goes to Jerusalem, and by golly, he calls the people of the Jews together to restore the walls of Jerusalem. Now this was a big project. The wall around the city of Jerusalem was 2.5 miles. It was 40 feet high. It was 8 feet wide. There were gaps. There was destruction. And so it was a big deal. The wall had to do with the identity of a people. It had to do with protection. It had to do with the idea that they could get to the water source rather than the enemy. It had to do with their whole identity as a community of people. And Nehemiah calls these people together, and they start building the wall. Now, one more thing I need to tell you. Thirty-five times in the book of Nehemiah, we're told that Nehemiah and the people repaired the walls. They're not building a new wall. They take the stone and the broken pieces of what was left in the destruction of a wall 140 years ago. And that says to me that God never throws anybody away. No matter how broken we are, no matter how burned we are, no matter how much we've been put aside, no matter how much you and I are living in a culture that throws people away and we throw our stuff away, God does not waste things. And the last thing that God wants is a wasted life. God is about the business of restoring people, which is a lot more than just restoring a wall. And so in the biblical story, we pick it up in the middle of it, chapter 4, jump in the verses. Here's what we read about. Now, the wall has been, is halfway done, okay? They're halfway there when we join the story. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build a wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying before they know it, know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and we will kill them. We'll end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So what's the problem? The problem on the biblical text is the people are complaining. The workers are tired. The opposition is joining forces against us, and doom and gloom is, is setting in. Ain't it awful? 
Ain't it awful? When's the hardest time in doing a project? Is it at the beginning when the excitement is there and the enthusiasm's there and people are saying, yes, let's do it? It can be pretty hard to marshal folks together. It's kind of hard, but it's not the hardest time. Is it at the end when we can see the finish line and, oh, my goodness, here we are? No, it's the middle. <laughs> it's the middle. It's the demon of the noonday sun. It's, it's when stuff is hard and we're not sure we can keep going. That's the problem. Now, here's what Nehemiah does, the solution. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords and spears and bows. Then I looked over the situation. I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. What's the solution that Nehemiah says? He says, circle the wagons. Don't do this on your own. Watch out for each other. Keep the faith. Fight for yourselves. Fight for your brothers, your sisters, your sons, your daughters. Be a part of a community. Be a part of a cause. Be a part of something that is greater and bigger than yourself. So Nehemiah is calling people together for the common good. And what's the outcome as we continue to read the Scripture? Well, when our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half of my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah, who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. What's the solution? The solution is that all the people returned to the work. I mean, there were families and tribes of people just walk, walk, working alongside each other. Everyone had their station. Everyone had their place. And they were fulfilling their responsibilities and their tasks. Now, did you notice that 50% of the people were working and 50% of the people were guarding with weapons, real weapons? <laughs> How do we do spiritual guarding over each other? Do you know the, the ministry, Nightlight, Branson, that's sending people to strip club joints in Springfield? There's seven of them, in case you were wondering. And they have two women that go and speak with the strippers. And there's two men that guard. They're in a car. They're there for physical garden, guarding, but they're also there to pray. When you and I are doing God's work, guess what? We need people to guard and protect and pray for us in the midst of doing the work. Sometimes we're called to pray and guard. Sometimes we're on the front line. But the common laborers did multitasking, and there was a trumpeter. There was someone that stood near to blow the trumpet, to call people to action, to be aware of the enemy, to alert people to what might happen. Now, what we're doing with our whole transformation process at Schweitzer is we believe that God is in the business of restoring people's lives. 
we don't believe no matter how down someone is or if they've been incarcerated or they're in trouble in various ways or they've never gotten a fresh start or they've blown it that God gives up on them but we also believe that people can't do this on their own and we believe that we're called to help people in getting on their feet and restoring their lives or maybe given the first chance we're told that about 98% of what churches do is about needs-based it's about giving people things but it's not really about right raising people up or giving them an opportunity to rise up out of their circumstances but jobs for life is focused on that 2% it's and we believe that we're needing to press the shift button not stop helping people with food and needs, but to do more than that. And that's what Jobs for Life is about. I want you to watch a video with me, a quick video about flip the list of what we're called to do with Transformation Hub. Imagine a musician who can no longer make music. By losing the ability to do something they were created to do, they lose a piece of themselves. They lose a sense of purpose. We were created and designed by God to work. And our work is one of the core places that we receive our purpose and dignity but what if you didn't have access to good work? For millions of people in need, this is reality. Many men and women, for many different reasons, can't find employment, are underemployed, or are shut out of jobs. And without employment, there is loss of purpose and dignity, which creates a vicious cycle of poverty, economically, spiritually, and emotionally. Christians have always been engaged in the fight to break this cycle, but the majority of the church's effort and resources for those in need begins with food, then housing, then clothing. And then at the very bottom of the list is work. But without employment and the means to actually provide for themselves and their families, the cycle continues. Which begs the question, what if we flip the list? What would happen if churches and nonprofits were empowered to actually help those in need, find and keep employment, and provide for themselves? The folks at Jobs for Life think this could change the game forever. Jobs for Life equips local churches and other organizations to champion the cause of work for those who need it most. By teaching individuals a biblical understanding of their identity and work and surrounding them with a community to support them, we can help people experience the hope and transformation they need to find and thrive at work. Imagine churches and nonprofits being centers where the cycle of joblessness is broken where business owners receive employees who understand the value and purpose of work. Imagine families restored where children grow up with hope and a future. Imagine communities and entire cities renewed because purpose and dignity have been restored. Jobs for Life believes imagination can become reality. Visit jobsforlife.org to join the movement of people teaching others the dignity of work. I've asked Bill McNeil to join me today and talk about Jobs for Life. Bill is a member at Schweitzer. He was for 32 years involved in the business industry, six years retired. Must have started when he was like 10 years of age. Uh, but Bill is leading this effort in Jobs for Life. So welcome, Bill. Other Thanks, than Bob. being a Detroit Tigers fan, I think you're really a cool guy. It's pretty hard duty these days, yeah. too, being a Tiger uh, fan. But tell us about Jobs for Life. Well. Um, as the video said, Jobs for Life is an or, as an organization is, is the charity in North Carolina established in 1996 
that enables churches and organizations like us to present Jobs for Life training. And Jobs for Life training is now being offered at over 200 sites uh, in the U.S. supported by the Jobs for Life organization. And the training itself is uh, eight weeks, 16 classes, two classes a week, two hours each. We take about 15 students at a time. We put each student with a mentor. And then the, the curriculum is based around some, some skills of how, how to find a job better, how to do a resume, how to present yourself better. But it also is based on the fact that we're all created by God that we all have assets, we all have talents. And so this program tries to help the students understand what their talents are, understand what uh, roadblocks are in their way to getting a job, and helps put together a plan for them to overcome those roadblocks. We also are creating a network of businesses that will uh, agree to interview the graduates uh, when they get out of the class. Now we're gonna be starting September 15th. We'll run Monday and Thursday nights, uh, and we'll do that for eight weeks and hopefully have 10 to 15 graduates uh, in November the 6th. Awesome, so how did you get involved with this? You were a part of some kind of a skunks team, is that right? <laughs> well, we like to think of it as a research team. You know, we much prefer to think of ourselves as researchers versus skunks, but um, we, uh, Jason Leininger put together a team a few months back and we've been studying, doing a lot of research. We visited some other uh, churches and missions and we've been looking for things that we could do uh, here that would help people up, not just handouts. And I really agree with that video that the only way that you're gonna get people out of poverty is to get them a job, is get them employed. And so when we saw Jobs for Life, we were excited this, this might be the program we could implement here. And we found that they were doing this program down in Branson at a charity called uh, Jesus Was Homeless. So about, 11 of us, I think, have been down there and visited that, that charity, sat through a couple of classes, and uh, we've been three times. We're going back again next week. And the whole purpose was for us to decide, is this program successful? Can we see progress in the students? And uh, could we do this at our own church? And we came away excited. We think we did see progress in the students. We're excited by what the transformation we saw in the students. And we really believe that this congregation has the skill sets and the capacities to do this really well. Well, I know you're not reinventing the wheel. The curriculum is really impressive. Would you say a little bit more about the curriculum itself? Well, that's the great thing about Jobs for Life is it's a time-tested, proven curriculum. They provide, this is the instructor manual, like 238 pages, so it's pretty detailed. But the, the curriculum, in addition to those skills that I was talking about, really focuses on three areas, identity, integrity, and community. Uh, a, a good part of the program, most of the first half, is spent helping the student understand who they are, what, what skills they have, what assets they have, where they are in their life's journey, what roadblocks are there, how do they overcome that, um, and, how, and help them put together a plan to get past those roadblocks. The second part of the program is integrity. This is a biblically-based curriculum, and honesty, integrity, dependability are characteristics that are essential mm -hmm. for somebody to be employed. And they're also essential in your other areas of your life also. So integrity is taught throughout the program. And finally, uh, community is very important. Most, what we learned about poverty is poverty is really results from broken relationships, where people don't have a good relationship with themselves or God or God's creation or others. And what this 
uh, program does is it provides a community to support the student, a community of other students, community of champions, the business people that are helping us a couple of times in the classes and also agreeing to give them interviews. So this community can help the students get a job. So we're looking for business people. There may be people here that's business-oriented, industry, business industry. What would you say that we need from them? Well, there's a couple of places that business people can help us. We have a couple of classes in the curriculum where business people actually participate on a business panel. One is to uh, tell the students what they're looking for in, in people that they hire. What are the traits of a good employee? The second is uh, actually some mock interviews. So we're looking for people that might have experience in hiring or interviewing people to participate in that. But a critical part of our program is to have create a network of businesses that will agree to interview our graduates, not to hire them, but to interview them. So if you work somewhere where you think uh, these graduates might fit, or you own a business and you'd like to help us, please contact myself or Kim Hammonds. Uh, Kim, I should have mentioned this earlier, <laughs> Kim is, uh, has been hired by the church, actually, to, to work on Jobs for Life part-time. And she's really driving the details of the implementation, and you can reach her at the church office. So please uh, mm -hmm. help us. Uh, you know, this is an easy program to sell if you can find the right person at the organization yeah, to sell it to. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about this role of being a champion, a mentor with one of the students. Well, this is a critical role. Um, we assign... Um, male-to-male, female-to-female mentor uh, for each student. And so if we start with 15 students, we'll have 15 mentors, and the class is student-mentor, student-mentor, student-mentor. They sit next to each other. They go through the class. They participate together. And the role of the champion is not to solve every problem that that person has, but to help them get through the program. The student has 15 work assignments that they have to complete. They, have to, uh, they can miss no more than three classes. So the champion is there to encourage, to assist, not to do the work, but to make sure that they get it done. Mm -hmm. um, input from Branson is that the mentors get about as much out of the program as the students. It's a real fulfilling yeah. experience. It's going to take about six hours a week. There's two classes, so you have to attend both classes and probably a couple hours out of the class helping yeah. the student get the work done. So it's a, not for the faint in heart to be a champion, but... What an opportunity that someone may have to be able to just pour into the life of one other person and walk alongside them. That's a great, great vision. We want to let you know that uh, Serve Day is coming up on September 6th. And this is related to what Bill's been saying, but Serve Day, and you have a card in your bulletin this morning if you want to pull that out, is something we've been doing for several years at Schweitzer, one day in September, but this year the theme is it's a way, not a day. And it's more a focus on how do we keep that relationship going. And so if you want to learn how to be a champion or learn more about Jobs for Life, you can go and you can be a part of that morning and just sign up for Jobs for Life. If you want to be a part of the community garden experience in starting that whole new ministry you can be a part of that. There's several really good options. We're just asking you to consider giving up a morning. September 6th, we'll feed you breakfast. And then for a couple hours, three hours at the most, you go and you get plugged in to an opportunity where you can help transform
the life or lives of other people, and we're transformed in the process. So um, you can just go to sumc.co and really encourage you to plug in to Serve Day. Bill, any, any final thoughts about Jobs for Life? Well, there is a place in the bulletin to check if you're interested in Jobs for Life. Uh, Kim Hammonds and I will be outside uh, next to the rack of brochures afterwards to talk to anybody that's interested. We had somebody after the first service say, my nephew just got out of prison. This is a perfect program for me. Where can I get an application? Another woman said, I'm a licensed chauffeur. I can drive people around. So we're looking for champions. Um, we will offer that service, that uh, training on September the 6th. But we are, we're going to do this program four times next year. So if you can't do it this fall, think about how you might get involved. Next year, we're going to need more people to help us implement, to manage the champions, to manage the students, because we're going to have a lot bigger operation next year. So we'd ask for you to prayerfully consider participating. And if it doesn't fit with you, then just pray for our success. Um, I, we're really excited. We think this congregation can do this really well. Thank you, Bill. As the band's coming up for a closing time of worship, I want to tell you one more story. A couple of weeks ago, I was giving a tour of the campus to a family, and I was up there in the kids' ministry area, and this young man walks up to me. It's a Friday morning, and he's got a piece of paper in his hand, and he asks, can you tell me, how do I find the office? And so I was telling him how you go down this hallway, and you go across the parking lot, around the front door, and you find the office in the outreach center. And we exchanged names, we started visiting, and, and he says, well, I've got my jobs for life application. And I said, well, you know, I'm one of the pastors here, I'd be glad to take it for you. And he says, no, I want to do this myself. I want to do this right. So we're doing this for that young man, we're doing that for, this for young women, we're doing this for people. We may be doing this for you. Maybe you're looking for a job. Maybe you're looking for skills that you recognize in yourself you need to happen. Maybe you know somebody else. But this is a great opportunity for us to be about the business of restoring lives for Jesus Christ. 35 times it says that Nehemiah repaired the wall. We never stop helping other people repair their lives because God just doesn't throw anybody away.